Welcome to the Big Thing on Total Soccer Show, the weekly episode where we dive into a particular subject in detail. And this week, we're taking a look at Emma Hayes' OBE. After the Londoners' playing career was cut short by injury, Hayes moved into coaching and academy direction, starting out in New York before roles at Arsenal and the Chicago Red Stars. And in 2012, Hayes began the role for which she is best known, at Chelsea, where she won six WSL titles, completely transformed the women's programme and became synonymous with the rise of the women's game in England. And now a new challenge awaits. And it's a challenging challenge, arguably the biggest job in the sport at the helm of the USWNT. Today, we're looking at how Hayes landed the role, what kind of quality she's going to bring, what her hire means for US soccer, and how she might build a path to success or back to success for the programme. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me to have that discussion, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Graham Ruthven. Hello. Hello. And the man who broke the news to the entire world, Joey Scoops, Joe Lowry. Hello. I'm working on the stash, guys. It's coming in very, very... I actually just shaved the other day, so I'm mm. I'm going the opposite way, nice. which is probably the right move for me to make in my own house and home. Um, so there's that side of things. Who doesn't love the most challenging challenge of their career? And I, I do sort of mm. think Emma Hayes is headed in that direction for the United States. The, the benefit for her and for anybody who was ever going to take this role, and Graham, I think you raised this point during the World Cup, is that the U.S. is sort of at a, a low point in recent history, and the bar to exceed where they have been is low. The bar to get where they truly want to be is much, much higher than that. But the early returns for Emma Hayes, or, or for anybody who would have been hired instead, I think are going to be positive just because the bar that was set by the predecessor was towards the basement rather than the ceiling. There you go. But challenging challenges are challenging, Joe. To uh, just I've to heard that. I've that. heard that. Yeah, yes, we should. Yep. We should. Uh, I love the way you said I shaved the other day, as if you were uh, implying the event was kind of annual. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's you that do the. It's you that does the annual like shave of the beard, and you show up one day, and we're all wondering who is this man, and what do they do with yep. Ryan Bailey? That's you. That's me. That's yeah. me. Hi, it's me. I'm the problem. It's me. Um, let's go and talk about Emma Hayes, shall we, Joseph? Just to lay the groundwork here, has the job been officially announced? Where does Hayes currently sure. stand with US soccer? Yeah, so the job has not been officially announced. I think we should be expecting that announcement basically any day now. It seems like given where we are in the week and where people are listening to this, although there's a slight risk given that we're recording a bit ahead of time, but I, I would be surprised if it had been announced quite yet as listeners are listening, but I think the general expectation is towards the beginning of next week. I broke this news. You said it for, for backfield. Hayes is going to be the next U.S. Women's National Team coach. Me officials coming out here, giving interviews to The Athletic and, and sort of saying, well, we don't know what's going to happen or not. She will be the next coach of the United States Women's National Team. A little bit of background on Emma Hayes, because it is kind of a strange situation. 47 years old, six WSL titles, like very, very successful with Chelsea, Ryan. You got to a lot of that in the intro. Had been there for forever and is clearly very invested in what's going on with Chelsea right now over in the WSL. So much so that she's been given, as far as I understand, a contract, her last contract, did not have an end date. So it was not a three-year deal or a four-year deal or a five-year deal, whatever. It's not a, a Chelsea men's player contract for a decade. It is sort of an agreement where both sides say, you know, we're committed to each other. We're just going to keep going and keep going and keep going. The only stipulation on that, again, from, from what other people have, have said, and I, I've heard a bit of this as well, is that there is a six-month notice period that has to be given. And so Emma Hayes is, as a result, going to finish out the season with Chelsea over in the WSL before coming and taking the job full-time with the U.S. It seems likely, and I reported this, that she'll fly back and forth during some of the international breaks, but all of that, you know, those details are still 
up in the air and they'll be released, I would imagine, along with the official announcement. But this is happening. It's a little bit of a strange situation because of the Chelsea stuff, but Emma Hayes, one of the most well-respected coaches in the women's game and one of the most successful ones, is going to be the next coach of the United States women's national team. Joe, relating to when Hayes will be able to take over this this job fully, is that likely to be where the kind of final negotiations are regarding this job? Because obviously it's not ideal for the US, given that there's the Paris Olympics next year. Hayes could feasibly still be at Chelsea in, uh, uh, until the end of May, which is when yeah. the Women's Champions League final is. At the earliest, she'll be released from that job in mid-May, which is when the Women's Super League season ends. The Olympics are in July. The uh, CONCACAF Gold Cup as well, the W Gold Cup, is in like late February into March, I think. Yeah. Uh, and Chelsea have games, yeah, during some of that stretch. I, yeah, exactly. So how is how is that going to work? And is that, as you understand it, where maybe some of these final, finer details are to be ironed out? Yeah, there, there are a few different reasons why some of this has, has taken a while. There's, I mean, I think we're very, very quick to forget some of the personal stuff that happens with uprooting your life and moving across the country. Not that Emma Hayes hasn't done that before, but there's challenges there, obviously. But yes, Graham, like the, the minute details of the contract and the timing of it because of how bizarre and, and as far as I know, unique her, her contractual situation with Chelsea is, that's some of the stuff that's taken a little bit longer to iron out. Chelsea want to keep their manager that they believe is an integral part of their success. And I think the data would, would point to that being true, they want to keep Emma Hayes and get as much out of her as they possibly can, which is is completely fair. That's their prerogative. U.S. soccer obviously wants her to come in as early as possible. So there's a little bit of a gap there. Graham, I think you're, you're smart to mention the Olympics because that is a big part of this. The Olympics are less than a year away. So a year basically from when the U.S. crashed out of the World Cup earlier this year. And Emma Hayes won't have much time with the team between now and then. So by making this decision, to go out and hire Emma Hayes, it's pretty clear that U.S. soccer is looking towards the long term, towards 2027, maybe even beyond that, rather than just focusing on putting all of their eggs in the basket for this Olympics. You can still go out there and, and win, but all of these considerations of what tournaments do we want to emphasize? How is this contract even going to work? When is she going to take over? What are the flights going to be if she can come for international breaks? All of those things are, are, are things that Matt Crocker has had to go to the table as U.S. soccer sporting director and, and sort of parse through. And Graham, as much as this is a win, or maybe we'll discuss how much of a win it is for the USWNT, it's a big loss for Chelsea and for arguably for the yeah. WSL as well. If you think culturally, Emma Hayes is very embedded in uh, in UK soccer, I think it's fair to say, you know, regularly on broadcasts and is sort of a fountain of knowledge and has excellent insight, but also, you know, a huge presence at Kings Meadow, a huge presence in the WSL, built up that Chelsea team and in sort of Wenger and Ferguson ways, yeah. you could say in many ways. And all she's had at Chelsea is millions of pounds and all the resources she needed to do so. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, that was a, that was an unnecessary dig. But that, that, that is to say that she's done very incredibly well and will be missed in, in that league and at that club. Oh, absolutely. And I think that the Wenger and Ferguson comparison is an appropriate one because she has become the figureheads of the WSL over the last few years at Chelsea. She has moulded that, that the women's side of, of, of that club with Paul Green, who's the, the general manager there. They share an office. Um, Emma Hayes also has a background in being a technical director pre previously in her career. And that's that's an interesting aspect of this hire from US Soccer when we come on to that a little bit later on. So she has a lot of say and sway 
over the uh, the strategy and recruitment direction at Chelsea. And I personally, I'm, I'm kind of shocked that US soccer have been able to pull this off. We had this discussion after the World Cup of realistic candidates for US soccer to go after. And we mentioned the likes of Serena Wiegmann and Emma Hayes. So it wasn't completely outrageous to mention these people as candidates. But I thought there was a pretty clear career trajectory for Emma Hayes where I thought she'd want a couple of more seasons to have another go at the Women's Champions League that's really the final frontier for for Chelsea in this in this program she'll have another shot at that this season uh, granted but then after that I thought her career would take her to the England national team job in succeeding Serena Wiegmann when she leaves and so for US soccer to disrupt that is a real statement. And that's the word that I keep coming back to, is statement. This is a statement appointment by US mm. Soccer after a disappointing World Cup, after a disappointing few years where they needed fresh ambition. I personally feel like they needed an outsider to come in and overhaul things, overhaul the culture in that in that team and that setup as well. And the hope is that Emma Hayes, who is widely considered one of the best managers in women's soccer as a whole... Um, is going to be that figure. Yeah, it's a, it's a huge statement of intent by U.S. soccer. And in terms of it being a further statement, Joe, I'm correct in saying we don't know the terms of compensation yet, correct? Correct, although there have right. been reports about those terms. Right, And but if the assumption is that she is paid something on par with Greg Berhalter, which I think is a fair assumption, I think, uh, I forget who it was uh, talking about this for The Athletic, was saying that that's like triple the amount that was paid, yeah. I think, for like... That, that like that position previously, I don't know if that was for Vlatko or for other uh, so managers the, so the in the numbers, women's game. Go ahead. Just to jump in, Taylor, the numbers from the Athletic and the Washington Post. So they both say that Hayes will earn either the same or close to the same mm-hmm. as Greg Berhalter. Um, Berhalter, the current deal is unknown, but he received one point six million as a base salary in his previous contract that ran until the end of two thousand twenty-two. Vlatko apparently earned a base salary of four hundred fifty thousand, yeah. um, which is which is not bad. But in comparison to Berhalter, clearly that is uh, is is much less. So that that is another big statement from US Soccer. Yeah, and then you look at Serena Wiegmann. Uh, she's on, I believe, four hundred thousand pounds a year as the England coach. Many of the jokes about can you even afford an apartment in London for that amount of money? Uh, no, but 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 I do think then if you're looking at 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 Emma Hayes and if she is making something comparable to Greg Berhalter, that jump in pay is obviously significant for her. But I've also seen the argument that that is significant for the women's game. That it sort of if if the biggest program in the world is now paying somebody this amount of money, you want to keep pace. Other programs sort of have to adjust their pay scale, and maybe that means more money spent on managers and more money to go around. So I've also seen the argument that that is part of of the pitch to Emma Hayes is that basically she can like break through that ceiling or raise that ceiling for everybody. Essentially, I think there was some doubt coming out of the World Cup about. Is this U.S. job, setting aside the context of how the U.S. did at the World Cup and the fact that the bar is fairly low right now for improvement, even if you set those things aside with how much some of these European countries have improved, is the U.S. job still the most attractive one on the the global women's soccer scale? Club soccer is improving in Europe. You look at some of the, the team. I mean, Chelsea is a good example. You look at Barcelona. There are some very, very impressive jobs and some very, very impressive teams that have done well. And then you look at the international side of things and you think about England, you think about other countries that have done very, very well at some of these tournaments. Is the U.S. still the top job? And and there aren't a lot that could compete with the U.S., but there are a few that were sort of entering that conversation. U.S. soccer has sort of taken control and said, it is. Like, there's no doubt about it. We're going to compensate you as if this is far and away 
the biggest job in the landscape. And, and the reality is that's probably always been true. But just as there was some maybe shadow of a doubt of, okay, has there been a little bit of reshuffling in the landscape? And there has been in terms of on-field results. But off the field and with resources that we're going to provide your team, your staff, and you as an individual leading the team, U.S. Soccer has made it very clear by the person they've hired and Emma Hayes and by what they're going to be paying her that, yes, this is the biggest women's soccer job on planet Earth. Yeah, it's it's it reminds me of like the Lakers getting Phil Jackson of it's just like. Oh, forgive me. It's a slam dunk of an appointment because it's bringing in a coach who you know can win, has won. I guess then there are the questions of like, well, at club level, can she do it at international level? But I think that's a fine conversation if we want to have it. But largely speaking, she is a coach who is going to win, who finds ways to win, who could get the best out of teams, and, and I think can come into a program in the U.S. that is at a little bit of a low and bring them right back up. Uh, I think they would have been well positioned to, to be right back up. But bringing in Emma Hayes, I think, is an immediate just like shot of adrenaline into that program. And I think does uh, elevate that national team. And I think it is still probably the best gig in the world on the women's soccer side. So for, for her to come in and get that one. And now we've got an established coach who could do big things has me very excited for the program. Yeah. And I think Teddy, when you mentioned about the sell to Emma Hayes for this gig, it's still, I think it's still regarded as the biggest job in, in the women's sport for sure. I think obviously the compensation is pretty good. The opportunity to come and live in the States, I think is quite valuable for a lot of people. And she's obviously done that before her first coaching job, by the way, the Long Island Lady Riders yeah. of the team. What a name. Uh, I, they yeah. are, I'm going to guess they're affiliated with the Long Island Rough Riders, uh, who are at like also a league team and a USL yeah, I mean, team. Yeah. Or U, yeah, USISL maybe. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of different entities at different points. The the, the big question, uh, maybe to jump ahead a little bit, is is the two sort of like concerns I've seen are number one, going from club to international, does that matter? And number two, does she have complete control? And that's another thing we don't know yet. We'll probably find out more about, hopefully, when we have our, our press conference with Matt Crocker, where he successfully dodges every single di difficult question. Uh, but the question about does she have complete control over who she calls in and, and who she doesn't call in more specifically, which players she's able to move on, which players U.S. soccer encourages her to call in, if any. I think that will be very fascinating to see if she just has carte blanche to do as she pleases because she is now well compensated and well respected and has that level of standing to be able to do as she pleases or does she still have to accommodate u.s soccer if they have concerns or suggestions about rosters do you taylor i'm, I'm not trying to be uh like devil's advocate yeah. over here I, i've legitimately never heard on the women's side about u.s soccer like not just mm -hmm. from talking to people but i've never even read people speculate about that is that a thing people talk about of u.s soccer mm -hmm. sort of forcing blackco or whoever to to call up like you know uh emily sonnet or something like that i don't i don't know i've never heard that well so I think on the men's and women's side, uh, you like the program will definitely not have input necessarily, but be like, hey, it would be great if you called up this person. And so sometimes that's been the, the, he wants to get a move to Europe and he needs two caps for the national team to be able to get sure. a work permit. Can you right. bring him into camp? I think there will be those sorts of more practical ones. I think with the U.S. women's side, a lot of it has to do with names that maybe – should have retired, should have been moved on, but keep getting called up and maybe aren't the best at their position anymore, but continue to be called up either for branding or for marketing or in, in, in uh, iterations past because there was that thing of U.S. soccer paying 
for their players' salaries at club level. So you kind of have a, a, a set group of players that are being paid. You don't have that as much anymore. So uh, maybe those concerns are more outdated or more conspiratorial. But I think that is a big question, is is she being brought in to just run the program as she pleases? Yeah. And I think the answer most likely is yes, absolutely. Otherwise, why would you bring her in? Uh, but but that is the other sort of I, like little concern I've seen mm. from a few circles of U.S. Uh, soccer. And with the, with the U.S. Uh, WNT, surely that is largely, you kind of mentioned the commercial side, the marketing side mm-hmm. of things, Taylor, where they have, they have big household names. And so I'm thinking of, I'd imagine a lot of that situation is kind of unspoken. I'd be surprised if someone from U.S. soccer is verbally kind of yeah. applying pressure on a certain player oh, yeah. to be picked. But there is an unspoken pressure if, for example... Alex Morgan is in the net, the the latest commercial, the, the, the latest night commercial, or Rapino's in the latest Fox Soccer commercial, or something like that. That's the sort of thing that I'd imagine Emma Hayes might experience in this new position. All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dig in a little more into Emma Hayes' suitability for the job, the tactics she might bring, and much more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. 
Total Soccer Show, welcome back to the big thing. We are talking Emma Hayes, OBE. Queen's honours, Graham. Impressive stuff. I've yeah. never heard that uh, she's an OBE, but you've brought it up twice now. Is this just to remind everyone she's English? She's English, goddammit. Yes. She's not yours yet. I, oh, man, Graham, I hate that you said that because I've just now realized that when the U.S. win the Olympics and when they win the World Cup, Ryan is going to be even more insufferable about trying to take credit for our success. Yeah, I, I am now bracing myself for that. So that's that's great. I mean, it's impressive. You think I've got another level to go to be more insufferable, Joe. I appreciate that. Um, what? How, how suitable, Joe, is Emma Hayes for this role in terms of the identity she may bring, in terms of maybe that carte blanche she'll have to make big changes? Is she, do you think she's going to make some statement moves, for example, when she comes in, in terms of moving out the old guard? What do we think? That's I mean, that's the one point, whatever million dollar question at the moment for US soccer. Is Emma Hayes going to be suitable for this position? I want to start by, by zooming out real quick, and I've heard, and I want to give credit, I've heard Jordan Angeli mention this a few different times over on, on some of the CBS stuff. The, the pool of coaches for this position, in my mind, not particularly inspiring. You know, maybe we'll get on to talk about some of the other coaches that didn't end up getting the job later, some in the NWSL, some otherwise. It's difficult for me to look around the women's soccer landscape right now and to see an obvious coach that is doing so much with relatively limited resources or is having like just this incredible success. And the Hayes has had success and she's had it fairly sustainably, but has not won a Champions League and spends from what I've heard that Chelsea squad spends a ton of money and they spend a lot more than anybody else in the WSL. They've, they've set records on transfer sides, all those kinds of things. So I, I don't know that there was an obvious, like this is the dream candidate. Emma Hayes fits that bill for a lot of people. I'm not totally sure. I think it is a very exciting hire. I think it is a statement hire. Some of the things that just put a little bit of doubt in my mind and some of the things that we will find out over time that will ultimately answer your question for you, Ryan, some of the questions here is she's very tactically flexible with Chelsea. So when you look at her style, you ask around. I've, I spent you know a bunch of hours this week early on watching Emma Hayes footage, both for this show and for an article that's up over on Backfield about her tactical approach. She is incredibly tactically flexible. Back three in this game, back four in the next, front three in this game, front two in the next, with the ball in this game, without the ball in the next game. She does so many different things and very clearly spends a lot of time game planning for her opponents and drilling those specifics into her team ahead of games, along with some consistent principles that are there too. One of my questions is, you know, is the international game as suited for that sort of thing, right? I, I think you can raise that same question about a, a manager that's really a, a sort of tactical ideologue and they want to do exactly what they want to do every game. There are challenges with instilling any sort of detailed tactical approach at the international level, just practically, because you have less time on the field with your players, you're around them less, it is a more difficult environment to create high-level soccer from. That is one question I have. Another question I have about Emma Hayes is the final third stuff for Chelsea has never been one of their biggest strengths. They have some patterns in the final third from what I've watched. They'll send the wingers into the half spaces and, and sort of drive them down to the end lines and look for cutbacks for the nine or a box arriving number eight. But you know that's not their strength. Their strength is much more direct attacking play with an occasional bit of patient possession. They want to go in transition. They want to be aggressive defensively. They want to counter press and go on the break. But when they're in the final third against a low block, I see Chelsea being good, but I don't see them being great. And you can apply some of those similar things to the United States under Vlatko and under Jill Ellis before Vlatko. The U.S. has not been incredible in those moments. So I have some concerns and, and some things that I think Emma Hayes will need to prove as she makes this transition for the first time in her career from the club game to the national team side. It's not an easy thing to do. It comes with challenges that you don't expect. And she's very well equipped in many ways to handle those challenges. 
but they're still real and they're still different and there's stuff still for her to prove along the way. Yeah, Emma Hayes is, is, a, is a little bit different to some other managers in kind of the modern age. And the funny thing about Hayes is that in this age of ideologues and managers all having a philosophy and an and identity, as you say, Joe, she is a, a tactical chameleon. I would point listeners yes. to a, a Joey Scoops article on Backheeled where it's broken down how Hayes frequently changes shapes and sometimes it's a back four and sometimes it's a back three and maybe it's a front three or a front two and it changes in different phases of the match and sometimes her teams will have control of possession in a lot of matches where they have a talent advantage but they can also be a bit more compact and reactive in matches against some of the better teams in the Champions League. I am a little bit warmer on how that makes her a fit for not just international soccer, but for the USWNT, because one of her strengths is setting up a team to exploit a specific weakness in an yes. opposition team. And she has the the tactical flexibility to make sure that Chelsea rarely find themselves on the wrong end of a bad tactical matchup. And I take your point, Joe, about the low defensive block stuff. And wow, I'm really going to echo one of your favorite talking points here. But that's one of the hardest things in soccer. Like, show me a team that doesn't struggle against sure. a low defensive block a lot of the time. Um, and this is where I am so really quite positive about Hayes as the new USWNT coach because tournament football is all about matchups. It's why you don't always end up with necessarily the best teams in the latter rounds of World Cups and Olympics and whatever. So I really value that flex that flexibility and pragmatism. My view, my broad view anyway, is that international management is, is a different discipline to club management. Different qualities matter in international football. And obviously I'm generalizing here. But I don't think you want to be wedded to one style of system in case you come up against a team in a a knockout format where it's a bad matchup. And in club soccer, that sort of thing, having an an ideology or or a a specific style of play, that can win out because you have a full league season and consistent principles help achieve like consistency over that time period. International management doesn't have that time period. And as I say, it's all about matchups. It's about having a group of players and a manager who can navigate a way through those matchups. And while... Hayes hasn't worked in international soccer. I take that point. There is the element of the unknown here. On the evidence that, that we have, I think she's a she's a good fit for that. So I, I am really quite positive on it. Graham, to your point about like you have to navigate a way through, I would say part of that navigation is also communication. And this is where I will say I'll hold my hands up. When Vlatko is first appointed, I, I like people I like, people I trust, people I respect who know things were excited about Vlatko. I was excited about Vlatko. It felt like it was going to be a good hire. That was not the case. So grain of salt here, but I, I am very excited about this hire, specifically because a thing that I I, I read from a lot of Emma Hayes' uh, current and former players is how effective she is at communicating instructions, either tactics or positioning or whatever it may be, that she is a very effective communicator and a very positive communicator at that, that she's able to motivate and inspire, but also inform. And there was uh, a good piece uh, written by Jeff Reuter for The Athletic, uh, kind of going into her strengths and where she might fit. And one of the things uh, that uh, that article pointed out was Savannah DeMello talking about uh, working under Vlatko, uh, she was on the Snacks podcast, and she said, we had a scrimmage with the Philippines. I think that was the last session where I was not with the starting team. Then we had a day off, and then the next training session after that, Vlatko came up to me, and he's like, we're going to put you at the starting group. And I was like, for what reason? But there was no explanation. Uh, she started the opening match as the team's number 10, despite her lack of prior integration into the team. She fared well, and yet she would not feature again in the group stage, only returning for one 45-minute shift as the team t- fell to Sweden. 
And the idea there, I think, is that there wasn't a ton of communication about why she was being elevated to the starting 11, why she was taken out of it, what her responsibilities were going to be within the starting 11 and within the game plan. And it seems like she was kind of put in there to create and try to figure things out. And I think she did okay individually, but as a team, it led to a lot of, okay, let's recycle possession. Okay, now let's go for a cross. So that didn't work. Okay, let's recycle possession. And there wasn't a ton of communication and instruction, but also figuring it out. There wasn't a lot of navigating a way through. And it does seem like that is a particular skill set that Emma Hayes brings that has me excited about this appointment. Yes. Yeah, Taylor, I think that's a that's very well put. And Graham, yeah, that certainly fits with your point as well. I have done on my notes, Emma Hayes should give the U.S. some clear structure in every, in, in every game, any given yeah. game, right? She clearly game plans for the opponent. She has done a fairly good job, from what I can tell, of communicating those things to her players as well. When you go through and watch her Chelsea team, you see structures. You you can tell what the team is trying to do, even if they don't always go about things in the most efficient way in possession. And, and some of the possession play, just to prepare our, our uh, listeners, it, it's not pretty, right? There's a lot of ugly, direct kind of stuff. That being said, I do wonder how much of that is we have Sam Kerr and no one else in the world has Sam <laughs> Kerr. And that really does change the calculus. Like, yep. it, it genuinely does. And the U.S. have more of their own. We have this player and no one else does. Sophia Smith is one of the biggest attacking direct forces in the world and, and trying to maximize the number of times that she can run at defenses is a good thing. So anyway, there, there are bits and pieces to like aesthetically and some things that, that are not always the most fun to watch about Emma Hayes' teams, but I think it is undeniable that she will give the U.S. more clarity. She will give the U.S. more unification as a team yeah. and, and tactically than Vlatko. Again, just the, the question is, how much of that is going to be stepping over the bar and how much of that is going to be jumping over the bar and taking the U.S. to new heights? And to be honest, we can all speculate about that stuff, and we will happily, right? But we won't actually find out the answers to those questions until we see her coaching the U.S. on the sidelines, whether that's in December or whether that's you know only after we get to May. Talking about things that fans should prepare themselves for, I, I saw a tweet that was something along the lines of, Crystal Dunn might finally get to play mm-hmm. in central midfield. And then a quote tweet that basically was, ah, I've got news for you. Look up where uh, Crystal Dunn played for Chelsea when she was uh, playing under Emma Hayes. She played at left back or left yeah. wing back. And that is one of the things Emma Hayes uh, Emma Hayes does is she does play position uh, players out of the, their natural position. Neve Charles is playing left back for Chelsea this season. She is by trade an attacking midfielder. So maybe that is one thing that will persist yeah. from the Vlatko era. Uh, Jess Carter originally a midfielder and then moved to fullback by Emma Hayes. Uh, so more precedent and for center back being sometimes a too. And she's, she wears yeah, number exactly. seven, or at least did yeah. last season. I don't remember what number she wears now, but she's been moved all over the place. That's one thing as well for for people to expect. Players popping up in different spots. It's not necessarily a bad thing, um, but you can go out and see. I think Kim McCauley had a, a tweet about this. Like it's very very true when you go through and watch Emma Hayes teams play and how players have moved over time. You know, don't be shocked if you see somebody playing where you never thought they would and and with it kind of working after a few reps. And that to me is genuinely the most exciting thing about this appointment. That's what I have in my notes is the variety of their attacks, Chelsea's attacks, and specifically how often they come from wide or the half spaces, but are not overly reliant on crosses. Uh, she will play occasionally wingers who are maybe on the left side who are left footed to hit crosses in if, if she feels like she has the aerial dominance there or if she thinks the opponents are particularly vulnerable in the air. But if not, she will invert her wingers and then have them cut inside and shoot or cut inside and then look for reverse passes to an overlapping fullback. There is that variety in approach. There is that flexibility in approach. 
But then there's also the flexibility and variety in the personnel. And that also makes me happy because I think a a sort of consistent knock on U.S. Uh, WNT managers of the past is that they kind of ride with a core group and they and they stick with a, a group of players sort of regardless. And you have players that you come to expect will start every single game. And I love the idea of Trinity Rodman starting on the right one game because she can do this specific thing against this specific opponent, but maybe she... Uh, doesn't start the next game or maybe move centrally or or something along those lines because she offers a different threat against a different opponent. I think that variety has been missing. And I think it also then goes back to how much players will enjoy this process. Because if you're somebody who does a few things really well and you're used to being able to do those things really well for the USWNT, and now you're being told, oh no, you're going to do this and you're going to move here. I- I'm fascinated by which players pick up that baton and run with it and which players do not love having to do a variety of things or maybe don't get as many consistent minutes as a result. I, th- I think there's going to be a lot of shakeup, a lot of flexibility to this team. And I think there's going to be a ton of interesting wrinkles to keep an eye on. Graham, in terms of that shakeup, is it gonna, can we draw an equivalent to the Man City men's team where under Pep Guardiola, a, a midfielder might be a fullback and vice versa at any given point, and you don't quite know who's going to play week in, week out. It's a nightmare for your fantasy team. Do we think that there's going to be similar <laughs> threat for US women's players? Not not Maybe not threat, but the, you know opportunities and threats in terms of players moving in and out and being tried on different things. And Yeah. The way this team has been going, I'd look at it as an opportunity, to be honest. I think Emma Hayes has the potential to unlock different parts of different players' games, and she tends to be one of these coaches that will look at a player's, rather than their position, she'll look at their qualities or how they use space in a certain part of the pitch. And that's how she ends up settling on, you know, Crystal Dunn as a left back or Neve Charles as a, as a left back or whatever. Um, so that is exciting for the US. I would look on the positive side of that. The, this is a group of players that clearly needs to unlock a, a little bit extra in their game. And as I say, Hayes might be able to do that. And, and Joe, drawing back a little bit from the tactical side of things, um, there is perhaps a perception that Hayes is, it, she's Donald Glover holding the pizzas, walking into the room on fire to a certain extent, mm. right? Yes. So do we feel that there's going to be an immediate uplift because her reputation precedes her with the squad? And uh, she'll be able to do something culturally, perhaps, uh, in the culture of the setup that others wouldn't be able to do. Is this, is this an immediate impact kind of thing, do we think? <sighs> I think it's both an immediate impact and again, like I feel like I'm beating the same drum. The bar is so low for where this team was before and and should be very straightforward to get some improvement very, very quickly. I think there will be an immediate payoff. I think that would happen with with most coaches. One thing that I think M. Hayes is uniquely suited to do, talking about her coming into something that's you know on fire and she's got to figure out what on earth is going on. That sort of was women's soccer, well, a lot of places, but that very much was women's soccer when she goes to Chelsea. She takes that job in 2012. That job was not the same job that it was today. And in, in a lot of respects, she's she deserves credit for transforming that job and the appeal of Chelsea and, and some of the other teams as the WSL has improved over time. One thing that I think in the long term could be a big benefit of this hire is Emma Hayes doing some of the things that, that she sees need to be done. Like, there is... A lot of things in the women's soccer landscape in the United States that need to be improved. And and that's not just me saying that. That's Emma Hayes saying that. She was a, a guest columnist for The Telegraph during the 2023 World Cup earlier this year. And, and she wrote a decent amount about the United States, about some of their creative struggles in the final third, which I mentioned earlier. She blamed more of that on the players than on the tactics. And, and I think there's some blame that probably goes in a lot of different places on that. 
she will have better creative players at her disposal with some of the younger players moving through, like Jaden Shaw, Olivia Moultrie, Kat Macario getting back and healthy eventually whenever that happens. So I don't think she'll be able to blame the players when it's actually her in the position, but she clearly has seen the deficiencies there. She's aware that things need to change. You can apply that same idea and other things that she's written about to soccer in the United States at large. Henry Bushnell wrote a great piece about Emma Hayes as sort of the disruptor that the U.S. women's national team needs. And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that. I don't know that this is going to work. I don't know that this is going to be the best thing that's ever happened to the U.S. women's national team. But I, I do know that Emma Hayes sees that there are problems. And I'll read this quote from one of her pieces in The Telegraph. She said, quote, The realities are it's going to be very, very difficult for the United States to climb back to the top. I'm not saying they won't, she continues later, but they will have to respond to this World Cup. She's talked about some of the issues with the collegiate system and some of the issues with the NWSL and, and maybe it not being stylistically diverse enough. And I don't, I don't honestly know if there's truth in that or not. It's kind of a big generalization. But she knows that there are issues. She's written about this stuff before, college, youth development, all these things. And, and the other good part about this is that it's not just Emma Hayes who knows that. Like, U.S. soccer knows there are problems. The NWSL knows there are problems. Other big players in the women's soccer space in the United States know that there are issues here with talent identification, with you know talent production and youth development, all of those things. Those are, are sort of big button topics. And the World Cup failure for the U.S. shined a big light on those things. And you know what? Emma Hayes is also going to shine a big light on those things because if she's been doing it from afar where the success or failure of the United States at a soccer level does not impact her whatsoever as coach of Chelsea and a guest columnist for the Telegraph, you can bet that when she has something invested and something on the line, something she can benefit from, the pieces around her improving, like you can bet that she will continue to use her platform, which will be greater and more focused to shine a light on these things that are well and truly broken inside of soccer in the United States. I think that is going to be a very, very beneficial thing. When the benefit comes, I don't know, but I do believe pretty strongly that it will come. And that's the other side of the, the point that Taylor was making about control, right? Taylor was talking about kind of roster selection, but looking at the wider structure of US soccer, um, I know Kate Margraff left as the general manager earlier this year. Um, she hasn't been replaced, am I correct in yeah, saying yeah. that? Yeah, so it's, it's it. Matt Crocker now as sporting director who's sort of, as far as I understand, sort of doing those jobs and they okay, basically yeah. just got rid of the GMs on the men's side and the women's side. Yeah, so that's that's what I thought. So the, the, the line of the direct line of authority is now between Hayes and then Crocker above her. There's nobody above her. And that's, I mentioned earlier, Hayes' background as a technical technical director previously in her career. She's been a general manager. She's been a, an academy director at Arsenal as well so she is qualified for a lot of different parts of this job and that then leads me to ask has Hayes been appointed almost in a sort of dual role where she's going to be yes the, the head coach and that will be our primary function and we've seen this sort of thing with with U.S. soccer from U.S. soccer in the past obviously it didn't really work out with uh, with with Klinsman or Klinsy boy but this is not completely Klinsy unusual boy. for Klinsy yeah boy. just made that up on the spot I'm not sure I'm going to stick with it um is Hayes going to be almost a dual kind of GM slash head coach and US soccer is going to lean on her to control a lot more of the program than someone like Vlatko did? So, so Graham, you're saying in the same way that uh, the UK taught Americans music in the 1960s, the UK is now teaching Americans women's soccer in 2023. Is that what you're getting at? No comment. I feel like that's a lose-lose situation <laughs> I, for me to I, remark on that. I'll fight back slightly just with an Emma Hayes quote. She says uh, something along the lines of, I was born in England, but made in America, baby. So mm. Emma Hayes has given credit for her success to the United States. So then if she has, hold on, I got to get this right. If she then has success with the United States as an English person, 
she's already given it back to the US. I think I think I just tied a bow on that. Fair enough. And Joe, do we think <laughs> do we suspect she's gonna have license to have that sort of Wenger-esque level of holistic control in terms of the structure of US soccer, in terms of I'm not saying she's gonna be, you know, picking the kits and doing all the big winter hand- jacket. <laughs> Didn't see any foul during a match. Trouble with zippers, <laughs> yes. A crazy job at FIFA in, in her future. Um, do, do we think she's going to have sort of that more holistic approach? Do we think that she's going to have license to, you know, get her hands into things she might, previous US coaches might not have done? I, I think so. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be Emma Hayes just like calling all the shots. I think the, the leadership structure inside of US soccer has gotten better. And this is very clearly a Matt Crocker hire. I think there is still some hierarchy, but... You know, U.S. Soccer surely knows MHA's expertise. Like they're they're bringing her in as not just, and this is this is with any national team coach for the United States. They're not just bringing her in as a coach. They're bringing her in in some ways as a figurehead. And and you want to give that person, especially when they're qualified and with diverse background. Graham, you mentioned that you want to give them an ability to impact things that will help improve soccer in the United States. So yeah, I think there will be a lot of conversations that Emma Hayes is involved in that will hopefully continue to shape soccer in the United States on the women's side in a better and healthier kind of way. Yep, totally agree with that. Uh, A a really uh, interesting thing that I was reading about was her involvement in different and unique aspects of the Chelsea women's team. One specific example would be uh, speaking publicly about how she doesn't feel like uh, players are basically supported when giving birth, that uh, when they get pregnant, that... If a player tears an ACL, there's all this medical uh, services available and there's rehab and there's recovery. And and she doesn't feel like those same services were on offer to women coming back from having a kid. And so like one specific thing she did was she championed the hiring of a pelvic floor coach to help women reestablish that or players reestablish that who had had uh, – babies basically and i'm obviously not trying to go too into the weeds on this one because i have never delivered a baby myself and don't know that much about it but i will just say that i think embracing things from a a like a female centric perspective is not always a thing that us soccer has done and i think having a person who will like advocate for her players and her players needs and already has a history of doing so in ways that i think would sort of slip the mind of of male figures at U.S. soccer. I, I don't think that's the worst thing either. I think having a person who can sort of bring in new ideas, new methodologies, but also methodologies that probably should exist in the first place, I have to believe that helps kind of improve chemistry, improve morale a little bit. Indeed. Let's take a quick break. And by the way, I'll clarify my comment about uh, the British teaching Americans music in the 60s. I am aware that the British stole it all from the U.S. in the 50s yeah. before anyone interjects with that one. Thank you. Very much. Uh, That's great. <laughs> we'll take a quick break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to look at the uh, to-do Wait, list. The Rolling Stones didn't invent American blues music? Are you no. kidding me? I had no idea. Jimmy Page didn't just come up with that stuff, Taylor. He heard it somewhere else. Uh, let's take a quick break. Uh, yeah, More on the Hayes' to-do list and uh, the impact she's going to have going forward in the U.S. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. We are talking all things Emma Hayes. Uh, Graham, before we get to the uh, looking ahead, uh, we have established that she was the best candidate at this point. There were there was a short list potentially of other candidates. Uh, Laura Harvey, non OBE, for example, from Earl Rain, uh, being already an that. inferior that's candidate. Her, that's her <laughs> official. Yeah. I think that's her official title, Laura yeah. Harvey, non OBE. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, she was on the three person short list along with I believe Tony Gustavson, obviously the Australia head coach, and uh, Joe Montemuro, who is the Juventus women's head coach, I believe, maybe former Arsenal uh, head coach as well. That was reported only a couple of weeks ago as the three person short list for this job. No, no mention of Emma Hayes at that time. So I don't know if that was misdirection or or, or what, but I, I wasn't really surprised that those were the names that came to the fore when we spoke about this after the World Cup. I said I thought it would be Laura Harvey. She very much seemed like she was next in line. She'd worked in the setup before. She's been uh, successful in the NWSL, of course. And that's not me saying that I think she would have been the right appointment. I'm just saying that nothing I'd read or seen reported suggested a big fundamental change of direction was coming from US soccer. Now, of course, Matt Crocker's only just in the door. um, So we're learning more about Matt Crocker through this hire and, and other things. But even the the Greg Berhalter rehire fed into the, the idea that staying the course was the way forward. So I am surprised that it's going to be Hayes. I think she's a much better candidate than anyone on that three-person shortlist. I would contest that of all the names that were mentioned post-World Cup, Serena Wiegmann, I think, is still the best candidate. Now, clearly, we very quickly settled upon that was an unrealistic candidate. Um, but I think just she's got a lot of the same qualities as Emma Hayes. She's tactically flexible, uh, maybe not to the same degree, but we saw England play in different shapes at the World Cup. I think Wiegmann's got a natural authority, but not in a kind of hairdryer treatment style. 
And the thing that puts her just slightly above Emma Hayes for me is she does have that international soccer background, right? That she's been very successful in her last two jobs. But Serena Wiegmann, it seems, wasn't realistic. And the FA very quickly made clear that they would bite uh, US soccer's handoff if they came anywhere near Serena Wiegmann. So certainly of the candidates that were available, I didn't think Emma Hayes would be available, but clearly she was. Yes, she is the best person for this job, in my opinion. I, I said back sort of right after the World Cup when we started talking about managers that, that could be involved in these kinds of discussions, I said back then that it wouldn't surprise me at all if Matt Crocker did go outside the bubble. And Graham, I, I totally get your perspective of, okay, well, they, they hire Matt Crocker, hires Greg Berhalter back on the men's side. Well, what's to say he's not just going to do the exact same thing and hire somebody sort of, you know, not in-house necessarily, but Laura Harvey's been in, in-house for U.S. soccer before. She's been an assistant. She's been the U-20 manager now with, with O.L. Reign, hoping for a championship this Saturday against Gotham, by the way, and the NWSL down in San Diego. It was It's a reasonable conclusion to make. What I will say is, even though it kind of sounds preposterous that Matt Crocker went through a super long, detailed interview process with multiple candidates that were not Greg Berhalter and landed on bringing Greg Berhalter back in the last cycle, I do truly believe that. Like, I, I genuinely do believe that there was a very extensive hiring process that led Matt Crocker, who was not involved in U.S. soccer in the previous World Cup cycle, it led Matt Crocker to believe that Greg Berhalter is the best candidate we can get to move this program forward. Now, I don't necessarily know if, well, I'll just say, I don't, I, it's hard to say with who the candidates were, I guess. Who knows if that's correct or not? Who knows if that was the right decision to make? But I think it always was very, very possible that U.S. soccer was going to look outside the bubble for this hire because Matt Crocker doesn't really have a bubble. Like, he doesn't really have a list of candidates that he feels like are connected to the U.S. soccer establishment or whatever you want to call it. So honestly, I'm not surprised at all to see someone like Emma Hayes come into this position. It was a little bit strange when that shortlist comes out that I think it was reported by The Athletic as the, the top shortlist, which which didn't turn out to be correct. Like those are all candidates that it, it made sense to see linked. But, you know, Matt Cracker ultimately in U.S. soccer take a much bigger swing here. And, and they're clearly thinking that that's the best thing to do. Joe, You've said a couple of times that you feel like this is a real statement and this is a statement higher. What, what do you mean by that specifically? Just as I take a big drink. I got to stop doing <laughs> that, man. I can't I can't be drinking water on these shows anymore. Uh, well, I think we should stay unhydrated, I mean, please. To sorry, be fair, I'm not known for the brevity of my questions. I was so expecting I think at you least two more assuming. sentences. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I hadn't figured out why I was so surprised that you were already done. That's that is why. I mean, I think it's a lot of things we said earlier. I think Graham was the first one on this show to, to call it a statement. The amount of money that U.S. soccer are reportedly going to pony up to make this thing happen. Emma Hayes being maybe the most well-respected coach in the women's game, having a ton of success with one of the biggest clubs in the world. And that team in Chelsea, which is in my mind, a little bit of a, a, not a black mark in Emma Hayes' favor, but it's not like a, a ding, 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 ding kind of thing. This is the right person. They spent a lot of money. Like the superstars on that team, Sam Kerr, bringing in Kat Macario this offseason, bringing in Mia Fischel from Tigres. Like the, the players that they've had in the past, she's worked with Crystal Dunn. She's worked with Peniel Harder. So many quality players, Millie Bright. Now, you could run through the list of superstars that have been on that team. She's coaching that group. She's coaching these players she has experience coaching the best of the best, and she's done it at a high level. I think the name Emma Hayes is mm-hmm. is maybe a half step above any coach in the world right now on the women's yep. side. And when you're going to go out there and hire that person, it's it's going to be a statement. Yep. I would agree with that. I would uh, say, to cover all bases, specifically a Graham-shaped base, uh, I think she is one of the top two names. It's her and Serena Wiegmann. Uh, and Wiegmann didn't feel particularly gettable. 
Uh, but even if she were, I don't know if this is going to fully make sense, but it makes sense to me. I'm not sure I would have preferred her over Emma Hayes if, if, if you could have chosen between the two. And I think that's because, odd as it may be, she's had this success with the Dutch. She's had this success with the with England. And I think it would have felt a little bit to me like U.S. soccer basically being like, uh, that. We want the one who keeps winning. We'll just bring in the one that's winning, and that will be the same thing. And I don't know how much calculation would have been put into the feasibility of spending that money to bring her in and what, what the contract would have been. But then just also, is she the right fit? Does she fit the system? Does she have familiarity with American players and the, and the NWSL? And I, I don't really know if she does. Um, whereas Emma Hayes does, as we've already talked about, like Joe, you, you had that quote. What was the quote? Like I was, I was born in England, but yeah, she, she said something America? about to Chris Whitting, to Chris Whittingham, something about you know I was made in America, basically. Yeah, like she yeah. believes like, to, those to years fair, were very formative. Yeah, to be fair, Suna Vigman also has her formative years at yeah. uh, is it UNC? Yep, in, in the uh, the greatest state in the union, Graham. You're correct. Yeah, so she does have a bit of a of, of uh, uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> no, not that one. I I just I I don't know why, but I am more excited about Emma Hayes than I think I would have been Serena well, Vigman th- because Vigman yeah. it feels like you're just sort of like taking what's already worked and hoping it would work and yeah. maybe being like, job done, we figured it out. Whereas Emma Hayes, it feels like you're appointing somebody the, who has a point to prove, who wants to achieve that level. The program wants to get to that level. It's a happy, happy unity. Yeah, with the Emma Hayes hire, I think the the background working is a little bit easier to see. Whereas I take that point, Taylor, that Serena Vigman, she is clearly the, what's the word that um, Americans use? Wing- winningingness? Winningest. Uh, winningest. winningest. Yeah, it's a super real, not at all made up oh, sports word. Yeah. I'm sorry By that the rest of the I mean world hate. doesn't know about winning, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bold point to make when you only made the last 16 in the last World Cup. Hey, but anyway, uh, <laughs> we weren't even there. I'll take, I, I'll take your point even I'm before you made I'm going to mute myself while I curse it. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, whereas with Trina Vigman, it's, I, I take your point, Taylor, it's like <laughs> just going to get the person that, mm-hmm. um, that, that, is, that is winning. But... Like Man City men's team did that with Guardiola, and like other teams do that with other managers, and it works out. Like England did that with Serena Vigman. They just went and got the person that had made a World Cup final with the Netherlands and someone that had uh, won the Euros, and like that's worked out very, very yeah. well. Also, they went and got someone that wasn't yeah. Phil Neville. That is that is also <laughs> advisable. All right, th- then maybe this is me like showing my cards a little bit more. And again, I want to acknowledge that like I am not. Like the fully the expert that many other people are when it comes to the U.S. women's national team, but my assumption is that I think there are more egos to manage with the U.S. women's team, and in my opinion, at this point, maybe a few unjustified egos. And and I think Pep Guardiola comes into Manchester City is going to be Pep Guardiola, and everyone is going to be listening and is going to be ready to learn because they know they'll be moved on or dropped by the best manager in the world. I think Serena Wiegmann comes into England and has some of that pedigree, and I think there's a willingness to buy in from the players, but I think there's also maybe a little bit more tactical sophistication from the WSL and some of the England players, and so I think there's a responsiveness there. I think there might be not a pushback, not a like a, an insurrection or rebellion or anything like that, but just I think there might be a little bit more hesitation when you are telling established players, you've got to start over. You've got to prove that you belong here, and... I think that's normal. I remember in high school when our coach got uh, go coach left after two years, and we had a new co- coach come in who said like everybody's got to earn their spot. I remember being annoyed about that and being like, "Why? Like I've been here for two years, you haven't. Why do?" And it's and I think it's logical for a coach to say that. I think it's logical for a player to be 
uncomfortable with that. But we've talked before about how some of the U.S. team don't feel like they have fully developed technically. Like we don't feel like they really push themselves to kick on and learn new things and get an, an even greater IQ of of soccer and how to play and the tactics and developing within the game. And, and so I do feel like you have to have a little bit of that bite, a little bit of that feistiness, a little bit of playing for the Lady Rough Riders. Like, like that you you have to have just a little bit of that steel, a little bit of that swagger to, I think, come in and get your ideas to come across effectively. And that does feel like something Emma Hayes has. Uh, Joe, final question from me. Let's look ahead a little bit to next year, uh, potentially the 2024 Olympics. Is there one big priority on the to-do list? What's what's underlined? Have her coach before the Olympics. Can I answer that one? <laughs> that <laughs> would it? be ideal. That would be ideal. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that will happen, right? Uh, I, I'll be pretty surprised if she doesn't come over for some international breaks between now and then. Uh, and then we'll, we'll get to see her a bit before the Olympics actually kick off. But I, I do have a slightly longer to-do list, but I'll just read the first thing because it is first ordered on my to-do list. It is scout the player pool thoroughly. And I I have no doubt that she'll do that between now and then. Juggling two jobs is hard. And there's a reason why we don't see many people do that. But she'll find time to do that in there somewhere and already knows a lot of these players quite well. Who should be in? And Taylor, this is something that you've gotten to a lot. Who should be out, right? And I, I think Vlatko did eventually, after the Olympics, phase out a lot of players. It it may be time to do more of that and, and assess how to get players in their best spots Maybe Sophia Smith should actually be starting as the number nine. And maybe it, it shouldn't be Alex Morgan or Ashley Hatch or whoever at this point. Maybe it should be Kat Macario. It's up to Emma Hayes now to assess those players. And also some players that she's probably not as familiar with. I mentioned earlier two names, two of the brightest young stars, the brightest stars period in the NWSL. Jaden Shaw, who I think is number one on that list. Creative midfielder, can play in the half spaces, can play a little bit wider, can play as a striker. Super well-rounded, likes to combine, plays for the San Diego Wave, is awesome. She's now, you know, gotten a USM, USWNT appearance, getting Shaw involved in learning her game and getting Olivia Moultrie involved in learning hers. So those are huge priorities for Emma Hayes. Ryan, can I do my last two very quickly? Can I, please? May yes. I? Yes. Do them now. Yes. Yes. Good. Okay. Number two on the list after scouting the player pool and, and making decisions accordingly, figure out the U.S.'s default approach against bad teams, against good teams who don't like the ball, and against good teams who do like the ball. So if we're basing off of... Emma Hayes' tactical flexibility with Chelsea, we should expect to see the U.S. play differently against, I don't know, give me a Panama, and differently against Australia, and differently against Spain, right? Those are three teams that fit into those different categories. Panama, not a very good team, right? The U.S. is going to control the ball. How are they going to break them down? That is a huge question still, and Emma Hayes has not, in my mind, done a fantastic job of showing an ability to guide her teams through those moments. So that's one thing. Against, you know, good teams that don't want to have the ball, like Australia, under Tony Gustafson, like how do you break them down? How do you approach those games against higher quality teams that are more of a danger on the break? And then against a team like Spain that wants to dominate the ball, how are you going to set up and play, right? So those are things I'm curious about, how you do that and then communicate those things and train them into your players in an environment where you don't have a lot of time to actually do that stuff. And then just do the final third stuff. That's the third thing on the list. Just work on that and work on it a lot and hopefully be better at it than Blacko. There you go. That's pretty comprehensive, Joseph Lowry. Thank you very much indeed. I think, everybody, we have big thinged. Uh, thank you very much, Taylor Rockwell, for all your insight on this here subject. Thank you, my friend. Joe Lowry, pleasure as always, my good man. Thanks, Ryan. Right back at you. And Graham Rutherford. Look at you. Look at us, hey? Who would have thought it? Thank, Not me. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, non-OBE. 
Hey, one day for both of us, Graham. One day, maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Listener, thank you very much for joining us on this big thing episode. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show. If you would like to support this here podcast, and we'll give you lots of bonus things in return, including access to our Discord. It's happening. But in the meantime, thank you very much indeed for joining us. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye. Bye.